to the cross. We follow Jesus on his way to the cross. All the Gospels write about it. If you start following Jesus, you read through the Gospels, you will find that all of them lead to the cross. Uh, the different Gospels tell you different aspects of Jesus. And in John, we find the reason John writes to him is so that we may believe in him. And by believing in him, we have eternal life. That's the whole key of the Gospel of John, according to John. But this morning I want to start a little bit different. I want to start out of Matthew chapter 10. The topic of today is, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That is Jesus' own words. Now, if you take it out of context, like it's written right there, it is out of context. You would think that the gospel, or like the people in the world say, the religion of Christianity is the sword. We make trouble wherever we go. We fight. And is that what we do? No, that's not what we do. We always have to use context, context, context. And read the Bible in context. So I want you to have a look this morning at the words of Jesus. And then we're going to use that as a backdrop and look at John chapter 7. Now again, we're not going to be able to complete John chapter 7, so we're going to break it up in two parts. But this morning I first want to talk to you about these words where Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now we need to put it into context as I said. So Jesus is preparing here in Matthew his disciples to go out and preach. And when we come down to verse 34, we find these words there. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now I've put it into the verse. And then again you can say, Well, I thought Jesus brought peace. You remember when the angel came to Mary and he said to her, You will bear a son and he will take away the sin of his people. He's going to bring peace which the world don't understand. You know, the writers say that it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Have you got that peace? Sitting here this morning, have you got a peace that surpasses all understanding? You say, explain that to me, preacher. Let me do. In a troubled time in your life, do you have peace or are you fretting around? Do you know what fret means? You're anxious. Like you said, you know, you could have come to that point of just anxiously running around and say, oh, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose it all. But that is spreading around. But the writers here say that there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is the peace that only Jesus can bring. Listen to me this morning. If your life is a turmoil, look unto Jesus, your salvation. So, he writes it here, but let's back up a bit. Let's go to verse 32. Uh, he says to them, he says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. You see that? He says, I will confess him before, uh, everyone who confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in 
heaven. This confess here is not only believing Him, but it is confessing Him with your mouth, accepting His ways and submitting to His ways. That is what it is. It's not just standing up and saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. The Bible says that the demons also believe in Him, and what do they do? They tremble. It's easy these days just to say something. But this is a different kind of confession. And that means that you need to believe in Jesus and confess Him to the point that they will kill you for what you believe in. And he says it right there, he says, Therefore whoever confessed me to the point of death before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. And he is the one who died for you and for me. He died a martyr's death. Do you think about ever about that? Because he saw you from the cross. When he was hanging on the cross, he saw you. I know you say, but it's so long ago, but if you take time out of the equation, it is as if. Because God doesn't belong to time. You and I do. But He's outside of time. You see, when God sits on His throne this morning, He looks at the cross right now, and He sees you at the same time. Have you ever thought about that? It is so far away. People write about it. We've got our own mental pictures about that. I could look. But for God, who's outside of time, He could see you. Listen, it might sound crazy to you, but this is how God is. He can see you right now when you're a baby and where you're sitting today. Because He's outside of time. It blows your mind. That is who God is. He's a dimension that you and I don't know. And listen, the, the scientists will never understand that dimension. That is why they are so crazy running for truth but can't find Find it. Paul says it. He says, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. God is outside of time. And here he says that. He says, but whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now then he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I do not come to bring peace but a sword. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his household. Have you ever thought about that? Let me ask the question in this place this morning. Has that happened to you? It has happened to me. The minute you give your heart to the Lord, what happens? All of these people that he mentions, this is Jesus' words. Fathers are against sons, and daughters are against fathers and mothers. And mother and daughter-in-laws against mother-in-laws. And man's enemies will be those of his own household. Why? Why? Because they accepted Jesus Christ. Look, let me tell you this morning, there are families who will kill their children if they if they convert to Christianity. It's true. It's true. If you get baptized, they'll kill you. They'll excommunicate you. And here we sit in the freedom and in peace. And it amazes me that while people sit in freedom and peace, they don't want to serve the the Lord as people who are really struggling to serve the Lord. This is true. And, 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 you know, I've found this as well in my life, that the minute you give your heart to the Lord, people say, oh, you're not the same anymore. We don't like you the way you are now. We like the guy who was the really party animal. 
Honestly, and I told my family once, I said, you don't accept me the way I am now? Would you have accepted me when I was sitting in jail, a drug addict and killed somebody? Oh, he's a great man. He could party hard. Woo! But look what that brought him. But we'll accept him like that. But if he stands up and he says, I am a Christ follower. I am following Jesus. You know what? He washed my life. I don't do the things I used to do anymore. You know what they say? He strains. He went off his blockers. Yes. That's what he says. He says, your household becomes your enemy. He who loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Look, I don't think we're going to get to John. I think there's a big message just in this and I need to explain and unpack that a little bit more. There are people who say, oh, I can't follow Jesus because my mom and my dad is not following Jesus. Well, that is no excuse. Pardon me? There's no excuse. Jesus, in his own words, he says, he who loves his father more than me. You know, in another passage he says, does not hate his mother and father? But when he uses the word hate there, it's not a meaning of hate where I want to kill them, hate. It is love them less. That's what the word hate means. He needs to be everything. And he says it right there. He says, and he who loves a son or a daughter more than me is, wor- is not worthy of me. Uh, I, I prayed a long time ago and I said, Father, my children I give unto you. It's not my children. They only lend to me. And I am only to look over them. I'm only there to guide them. And the best guidance you as a parent can give your children, listen to this, is not to make them in life. The best guidance is to lead them to Christ. And the only way, mother and father, you're going to do that is if you live a life submitted to Christ. That's the only way. Don't worry about education. Don't worry about making them for life. Don't worry about mortgages. Don't worry about buying them stuff. Lead them to Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. And I don't want to use that scripture out of context. It is in Matthew chapter 6 and it talks about food and clothing. I get that. But one thing we need to do is we as parents need to lead our children to Christ. That is your main task. Yes? Don't ask me, believe the word. But when you get your children, mums and dads, hand them over to God and love Him more than them. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to implant into your heart His love. It's called agape love. The highest love that there could be. And you will love people with a different kind of love that this world is professing to give people. You know the biggest love this world gives is eros love, erotic love. And you know what erotic love is? It's a feel love. You need to touch. You need to hug. You need to feel. No, no, no. We're not part of a feeling love. We're part of a godly love. A sacrificial love. That's the kind of love. Now listen, you aren't born with this kind of love. No, no. It's not as if you come out of the womb and all of a sudden you've got the love of God. No. You are a rebel when you are born. Listen, David says, when I came out of my mother's womb, I go astray speaking lies. We are born liars, we go astray, and listen, we are not going out and say, praise the Lord, we'll serve you for the rest of our time. You haven't got that love until you find the love maker, Jesus Christ. It's just plain facts. According to the Bible, if you believe in the Bible. 
And then he continues on, he says, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who takes whose cross? His cross. You and I has a cross to bear. And I know that people sitting in this room has got different crosses that they bear. And I'll tell you what, dear friends, some crosses are heavy to bear. Oh, I get it so often people say, look at those people, they are living as if nothing's going on in their lives. They've got a wonderful time and look at poor me. Oh, if I could only be like them. Come on, be honest with this. Is that chatter that you hear out there? Is that something you said yourself? Look, I'm going to be honest, I said it in my life once. Oh Lord, if only, though, if only just a small smitten of what they've had. But you see, with what they've got comes a cross to bear. And listen to me, dear friend, you might not be strong enough to carry that cross. So let people be and you concentrate on Christ. And you carry your cross that He's given you to bear. Yes? The Word of God is so wonderful, it's so rich, it's so impactful, it's so, it's so living. The Bible says the Word of God is living. Yes, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. He says, he who finds his life will lose it. How do you understand those words? He who finds his life will lose it. The only way you can use the Scripture and apply it to you is if you find your life in Christ. Oh, I see a lot of people lose their lives for different and wrong reasons in the world. Look at that man, he's such a great conservative, you know, environmentalist. He's he's giving his whole life to save the environment. And I say, you know what, you've lost everything. You gave your whole life for nothing. But if you gave your life to Christ, you know what, you will find your life and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Isn't the Bible... You see, that's all you need to do, friend, is you only have to open up the Bible and pray the Holy Spirit to open it up for you in spirit and truth. And listen to it. It will change your life. It will invigorate you. It will give you life. People will, will look upon you and say, I can't understand the peace that surpasses all understanding that these people's got. Where do you find it? It's not in yourself. It's not in a government. It's not in education. It's not in money. But it's only in Christ. In Him alone. Praise the Lord. That's the intro. I don't know how I'm going to get to the Word this morning, but let me tell you what He says. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. What is he saying? Is he really saying that he came to make trouble? Is it true that these Pharisees, when they say he's a troublemaker, that that could be true? Because that's his own words. But don't take it out of context. He was talking to his disciples. And what did he tell them? He said, look, wherever you're going to go, and this is so true to you and me today. Wherever you're going to go and you're going to proclaim the word of Christ, you are going to be a troublemaker. You're going to be seen as a troublemaker. So he didn't say he was a troublemaker. He came to set the captives free. He came to make the blind to see. But you know what's going to happen? The sooner and the, the minute you start preaching that, the minute you start doing that, you know what's going to happen? They're going to say, you bring a sword. That's the true concept. Is that happened to you? Come on, test me. Go to your workplace and go and tell them that the life that they are living is an immoral life 
and it's wicked. And if they continue living those lives, they will end up in the pit of hell. Come on, go do it at your workplace tomorrow. What's going to happen? They're going to sack you and the peace is going to disappear and they're going to say, oh, you know what other Christians will say working there? They'll say, oh, listen, you bring the sword too hard. Yes? You are too hard. And I, I totally agree. There's scripture verses which shows us that we need to come with compassion to people. We shouldn't use it as a sword because the sword can kill, it can, it can hurt I've got it against people who use the Bible to bash other people. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, when you bring that message of peace, for one it will be peace and it will set them free, but for the other it will be a sword. And most of the time... And now, my question before we look into John, my question is, this is family he's talking about here, yes? Why family? Why did he say that your enemies will be of his own household? Why didn't he say your enemies is going to be your work colleagues or your enemies is going to be the LBGT uh, action group or your enemies is going to be the, uh, the abortion action group or your enemies is going to be Islam or your enemies is going to be those or those? Why didn't he say that? No, no. He says your own household. And I, I, I tell you why. Because your household knows your history. Let me testify. The life that I lived when I was a young man, and when I thought I was the best guy that there was, and I did some naughty things, which some of them, if I tell you, you'd, you'd, I'd be ashamed to tell you, I did some naughty things. And you know who saw me doing those things? Was I know it's God and I know it's the devil. That, that I knew after I got saved. But then, I, look, I didn't live a life for God. Who saw me do those things? My family saw me do those things, yes? I lived with them from my childhood. I lived with them alive. We've got a lifetime together. Oh, the party animal who was in front. Man, it was that guy called Sucky and he could sucky, sucky, man. And it was just great to have that guy. He was the guy. And you know what? Everybody saw that. And those old dirty jokes he could tell. Oh, man, he could tell a dirty joke. Man, that guy could do it. Am I shocking you? I hope so. Because I'll tell you what, by the grace of Jesus Christ, he set me free and he washed me clean. In that scripture that I said, And then when, when it came time to tell that joke again, what did I do? I didn't tell it anymore because he says, the things I used to do, I do them no more. And you stand up and you say, no, no, no. I've got a testimony to tell you. Listen to me, family. He came and he set me free. He washed me whiter than snow. I gave my sins to him. I confessed my sin. But the family looks at you and they go, what? Is he going off his blockers? What's, what's wrong? Come on, tell us a joke again. You know what, my nephew says, come on, come take another puff again. Go with us, man. Hit that guy. Well, you see that guy, he's so peaceful. Go over him, give him a smack. That's what you used to do. They know your history. It's difficult to testify to family. Yeah. But you know what Jesus says? He says, I'm there always. Don't let it make you nervous. 
Because he's the one who carries. You see what I say this morning that he says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. The message is a message of peace. The gospel is a gospel of peace. So with this in mind, I want you to think now, as we open now in John chapter 7. And I'm only going to do the first part. I think we're going to break it up now in three parts, okay? Because I've taken a little bit longer on the intro. Who's, who's counting? Who's timing me on the intro? <laughs> Nobody. Praise the Lord. I think I'm safe then. We see exactly this thing happening now with Jesus in the start of John chapter 7. After these things, it says there in verse 1, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Why? Why did they sought to kill him? It goes back to Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. He healed a man on the Sabbath. And when they attacked him because he healed a man on the Sabbath, he put himself equal with the Father. Oh, and when they heard that, they went, what is going on here? He is blasphemous. He put himself equal with the Father. And he broke the laws of Moses. You're not supposed to work. On a Sabbath. Now we find Jesus. You see again. He brought the message of peace. He came and he set the man free. He healed the man. Isn't that peace? He gave that man grace. But instead of seeing a grace, what did they see? A sword. You come to make trouble. Why do you break the laws? Why do you break the religion? Why do you break the traditions? Isn't that what people say when you come to Christ? Look, you and I might not have been from childhood uh, 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 chained into a religion, but there are people living in this world who are from childhood chained into a religion. Mum and dad, grandma, everybody did that. And if you break out of that, like I said earlier before, if you break out those chains of religion and throw them up, they'll kill you for it. Jesus went through the same thing. That's why it says in Hebrews that he... He's the high priest for us, tested just like we were. Here he is. He walked in Galilee because in Judea they wanted to kill him. He had to leave Galilee and go to uh, Judea and go to Galilee. So he walks there and look at verse 2 now. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. The feast of, and it's interesting when you look at John, he, he based all of his writing on the back of, of these feasts, these Jewish feasts. The, the previous chapters was on the back of the feast. Now this chapter is going to be on the back of another feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a really interesting feast. It normally took seven to eight days, this one. It was also called the Feast of Booths. And I can just imagine... I would have loved it to be there, to go to these Feast of Booths. Because people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem. It will multiply its numbers three times. Three times the, the number of people will come into Jerusalem. And as I'm going to study through this book in the next couple of weeks, I'll show you different groups of people within the city and how these different groups of people reacted to Jesus. First it's his brothers, and we're going to look at that now, but this was the Feast of tabernacles, of booths, and they came together and, and they lived in booths, like little shacks, you know, and, and, and the whole city. Just imagine that. You, you know, if you think about Melbourne, if we 
multiply Melbourne's population threefold and we say, look, we're going to live in booths, little tents. We've got tents these days. I reckon they will have done, Coles, Coles, Coleman's tents will have made a lot of money way back then, but they didn't have that. But they built these little booths and they're living there. And that is reflection back to the Old Testament. When, when God brought them out of Egypt, they do this for all week. Not only that, at the temple the priests will come together and, and they will go and get some water out of, out of Siloam. And on the steps of, of, the, of the temple they will stand there and one will throw out water and the other will wash his hands. Every single day they will do this. It's a ritual. And that showed towards when they were in the wilderness. You remember when they hit the rock and water came out when they were looking for, that's what they did every single year, every day. Then on the last day of the feast, they call it the great day of the feast, the priest will come out, but this time they will not bring water out. The last day, the great day, they will come out and have an empty pitcher there and there will be a priest and they will throw no water out, but it will be as if there's water. It is at that day that we're going to get into the, when we study through this, it's at that day that Jesus stood up and said, anyone who thirsts, come unto me. So this is the feast that they went to. Now I want you to look at his brother's reaction before they go to the feast. It says in verse 3, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. When one reads those words, you think, They are good intentions. Yes? Come on, Jesus, go out into the world. Did you see the good intentions there? No, no, I only see sarcasm there. I only see sarcasm there. You see, he comes there, and no, no doubt, listen, let it, let it be known to you, no doubt that the world knows around those areas, and I'm going to show it to you later on, not today, but then, but no doubt that people knew that the Pharisees wanted to kill him in Judea. Now his own brother says, go to Judea. Don't you think they're a little bit embarrassed about what Jesus did? Remember, they know his history now. Don't you think they came together and talked about these things? And then he happens, you know, he do these miracles and, and people talk about him and then they go and say, go that your disciples see the works you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seek to be known openly. Did Jesus want to be seek to be known openly? No. Every single time they wanted to make him a king, where did he go? He went away. Every time. Go and read it before this. He did a miracle and they wanted to make him a king and he went away. But these days, it's different. Somebody did something small and a, a small group of people jump up and down and go, Woo-hoo-hoo! and what is, oh, I'm the king, I'm the, it's me, it was me. Oh, I laid my hands on them, I laid my hands on them. It was me. That's not Jesus. His brothers are sarcastic here, they go. You want to be known openly, don't you? Go, that's the place. That is your launching pad. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. Go and show it to the world. Show your tricks to the world. Jesus Christ is not a trick pony. 
He's not going to do tricks for the world. He's the real substance. I was going to say real deal because it would have flowed off the tongue, but he's not the real deal. He's the real substance. He's he. And there's nobody like him. His brother says, go. No one does these things. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. How many times did he tell them that his time didn't come yet? So he's not there. Jesus didn't come to make fame. And let it be known that any preacher who preaches the Word of God is not there to make fame. I'm not standing in front of you to make fame. No, no. John writes it in John 3 verse 30. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. Isn't it true? This is how his disciples be. He says, don't let everybody say Lord, Lord to you. No, no. He who wants to be first be last. Come down. Come in humility. These brothers says, go. You know, the whole feast will love your tricks. And that would have changed the whole thing. But they were only echoing what happened with Jesus when he was tested in the wilderness, isn't it? You remember when the devil came to him and said, throw yourself off this mountain, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels will come and catch you? What did he tell him? He says, come for fame. And Jesus didn't come for fame. No, he came to save sinners. But let me continue. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, this is it, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. Why did the world hate Jesus? Because he testifies that their works are evil. You remember when we said in Matthew, when he sent him out, he says, I, didn't, I came to bring a sword. I didn't come to bring peace. It's, it's not how, that's not his message, but it's what the people get. He tells them, listen, this is so true, and this is what the, the ministry needs to be a world. The world hates truth about their wicked ways. The world hates it. You show me one lobby group of wickedness who jumps up and down about Jesus Christ. One. And I'll repent of this message. I'll tell you one thing. The world hates it. They don't want to hear Jesus' whole existence. Just the word Jesus and His existence is a testimony against wickedness. It's absolutely a testimony against it. Look, you can stand up in any place and you can say, I'm a Buddhist. That'll be okay. I'm a Hindu. That'll be okay. I'm an East, you know, a Muslim. That'll be okay. You can even say to them, I'm a Christian. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a religious Christian like a Catholic. But you stand up and say, I'm a Jesus Christ follower. I'm a blood-washed child of God. And they say, be quiet. I'm not asking you this morning. I'm just telling you what's going on in the world. And don't sacrifice, you know, don't, I'm just a messenger here this morning. But that is the reason why. He says, they hate me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Listen, brothers, you were looking at me for the tricks you think I'm going to do. No, 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 no. I come, and I come to show them my whole existence is against wickedness. And this is, dear friends, why you will lose a lot of friends when you give your heart to the Lord. Because your existence amongst them is against wickedness. 
You used to be the guy who, who conducted in their wickedness, but now, since you confessed and you are born again, your existence, and this is what happens, you walk down the street. You tell me if it's true. You walk down the street, you used to be friends with them for many, many years, and then they come the opposite direction and all of a sudden they disappear. Because they don't want to talk to you. It's not because of you. It's because of who you are now. You're a Christian, a child of God. He says, It hates me because uh, I testify that its works are evil. The word testify there again is, is that same word, martyrio. And his testimony will eventually lead to his death. And let me tell you, this testimony against the wickedness of the world led to his death. Not only that, the testimony of his disciples led to their death. The testimony of you, if you keep on that, will lead to your death. Now, for them it was a physical death. For you, it could be excommunicated you out of groups, but it also could mean your physical death. If you look at John, the same John who writes this, okay? You find him in the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. Why did they put him on the Isle of Patmos? They want to get rid of him. They tried to kill him. Did you know they actually put him in a boiling pot of oil to kill him? But he wouldn't die. This is John who wrote what I'm telling you now. They couldn't kill him and they said, we need to get rid of this brother, you know, this guy who keeps on talking, talking. And what did they do? They put him on an, on a, on an island of Patmos. But you know, when they thought they struck him, God used him to give him the revelation. And when he himself, go and read it in, in, in chapter 1, when he himself writes, he says, I'm on this island. He could have sat there and said, Oh, the whole world is against me. Look at them. They do with me. They put me in one. Look at this cast. It's burning. He could have done all of those things. But no, 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 no. He says, I'm sitting on this island for two reasons. For the word of the testimony and the blood of Jesus. For him. Those two things. And that's the same thing that you will be persecuted for. He says, I testify that its works are evil. You see, there's a lot of things that we need to tell her. We need to stand about wickedness. Think about the abortion. It's wickedness. Abortion is wickedness. Abortion is murder. Does Jesus stand for that? If, if Jesus could have been here today, would he have said, oh, you know, I've got a diplomatic answer about this thing about abortion. Is he diplomatic? No, no, no. To that he brings a sword. He stands against that, and we should stand against it. And listen to me, it's going to be soon that if you stand against these things, this wickedness of the world, you will lose your job, they will throw you out, they will even throw you into, into jail. I'm going to talk about the next thing. Laying lesbian and gay rights, LBGT, like they say to it. Listen to me very carefully. I might be even in trouble today if this goes out. Soon it's going to be the day that you can't say that because it's hate speech. But it's wickedness. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. And Jesus says the world will hate you for that because they hated him. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And look, I can, I can give you a whole list of wickedness the world is trying to make right now. See? His own brothers turned against him. 
that's going to happen. And he, he says to them, my time has not yet come. Now let me tell you something here today. John 15 verse 20, he says, remember, John 15 20, he says, remember, what do I need to remember? The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now let me finish off this morning in verse 8. He says, you go up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his, bro- excuse me, when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast. Not openly, but as it were in secret. Now think of that. You know, somebody said to me once, ah, they caught Jesus lying. <laughs> and if you look at the scripture, it's right up there. It looks as if Jesus was telling a lie, isn't it? He says it right there. He says, you go up to the feast, and I'm not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, they remind... But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. He didn't tell a lie. He said, look, I'm not going to go with you. Why? Because they traveled in caravans. The whole group would travel in caravans. And as you're going to see next week and the week after, that the Jews, the religious leaders, those factions, the Pharisees, and the sad you see, you know why they sad? They don't believe in life after death. And that's why they're sad, you see. You see, they are sad, you see. Yes? So, uh, those religious leaders, those factions, they wanted to kill him. So, the temple police would have been looking out for this Jesus. Where's this troublemaker? You see? He didn't come to bring peace but a sword. That's what they'll proclaim. Where's the troublemaker? And they would be coming to the caravans and look through the caravans. Where's the Jesus? Find this Jesus. He didn't go with them. Was he afraid? No. He wasn't afraid. If somebody say, oh, but he, was, he, he should have been bold and go in there and say, catch me. No, no, that, Jesus never did that. He said, my time did not come. When his time is going to come, he's going to hang in front of everybody. They seek the Jesus that could bring peace. He didn't fit their mold. So then later on, and he didn't say, I'm not going to go. He says, I'm not yet going up. Not yet. My yet is coming. And when they left, why would, what would have happened if he'd gone with his brothers? We've read it earlier on. Go, make a name for yourself. Hey, if I'm walking next to Jesus and he can do all these tricks, I would tell everybody, wouldn't I? Oh, hey, 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 look, look, come, come over, look, there's Jesus. You know what he can do? Come on, Jesus, do something. Oh, come on, just, I'm your brother. Don't let your brother, come on, bro. Don't let your brother, down. just do something. You see, Jesus is not a little dog with a tag around his neck. And let us learn from that. The Bible says his ways is not our ways. He does things in his ways. All you and I need to do is submit to him. Where are you this morning? I'm not asking if you're saved or not saved. Where are you this morning? What is Jesus to you this morning? Is he the trick pony? Or is he the one that brings peace, that surpasses all understanding?